Algar Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 259, covering False Prophets and Remember. Hi, friends. We have a new friend joining us for the very first time, and it is Caitlin. Hi. Hello. I'm impressed already. Yep. No pressure, Caitlin. You got to be amazing. Oh, God. <laughs> so do us a dance. Yep. Do a dance right now. I'm um, wearing a headset and there's a lot of cords near me. This is no. not a great dance. This the- is not theater, a good time. Theater of the mind. You just say, I'm doing a dance, guys. It's I the am best dancing dance. Yeah. so well right now. That's the thing. If you if you sell it with your voice, people will never know. Yep. This is my dancing voice. Wow. <laughs> can you tell? The thing yes. is, I can picture it so perfectly in my mind's eye now. You're, You're doing really, a little jig. You've painted me a word picture. Oh. Yeah. The thing is, like, with, with our words, we could totally say, we enjoyed both of these episodes of Voyager. They were great, but that would be a lie. That would be lies, and we are not lying people. Well, I am, but... Uh, you, yeah, that was a lie, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the greatest lie of all. They certainly were episodes. Yeah, and yep. you, I, I, Matt, would you agree that Caitlin is the most uh, Voyager positive person we know? I would probably agree with that, yes. And even Caitlin didn't care for these, so no. that's not... Like, we tried our best to find people who like the show, because, like we've been saying, we don't want to just rag on it the whole time. We're trying to trying to get a, a variety of voices, but no. but sorry, <laughs> even the big Voyager cheerleader that is Caitlin didn't care for these <laughs> and episodes. These, these ones were a couple of French-dipped ass biscuits, like, just fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, they weren't great, but was there, was there any particular reason you chose these, Caitlin, or just kind of luck of the draw? I was actually cruising through the episodes and I saw the title and instantly knew it was a Ferengi episode. And yeah. so I was like, hey, that's something cool and new. Let's do yeah. that one. No, that's, and then that's... I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually where it falls apart. It did. Sure did. Watch it. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what happens in False Prophets? Oh, dear. Okay. Well, climb on board, kids, for this week's wacky adventure. We encounter yet another wormhole. Apparently, there's a lot of them out in the Delta Quadrant. Tuvok informs us that not only is there a planet nearby, but there's a planet full of humanoids that appear to have a replicator. Ooh. This leads the team to believe that the wormhole goes to the Alpha Quadrant, which obviously means that our heroes are going to finally make it home. Oh, wait. We're halfway through the season of a serialized show, so we know that the main premise here is not going to happen. So Janeway probes the planet for costume ideas, shoots the dynamic duo Chuck and Paris down to the surface where they listen to poetry and uh, trade their shoes for ears. After some gong ringing, two Ferengi escorted by Vegas showgirls come out before a crowd with glammed out replicator and start chanting cult shit. They lead a dupe crowd of humans in teachings like greed is eternal and exploitation begins at home. Back on Voyager, Belle and Harry get sciency and excited about polarities. Janeway beams to the beams the Ferengi gods aboard to scold them about values and other human things, only to have the Prime Directive explained to her by aliens before letting them go with a stern look. Time for Plan B. Neelix gets even more icky by dressing up like a Ferengi, impersonating the Grand Proxy, and recalling the two entrepreneurs back to their homeworld. His ruse is found out, though, due to the fact that he completely spills the beans. Is this episode over yet? Nope. 
Janeway uses Voyager to fake the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy and beams the Ferengi aboard just before they and Neelix are almost burned at the stake, although none of us were complaining. The two bash their captors over the head, escaping a shuttle that zips through the wormhole to the Alpha Quadrant just before the wormhole turns off and Voyager is left holding its melting ice cream cone. <laughs> I was so sure they were going to make it out this time. Maybe next week. For now, on toward home, Mr. Paris, Warp 6. I, sorry, you have to do it in the voice. <laughs> you have to do a Janeway voice for that. I'm sorry. On towards home, Mr. Paris, Warp 6. Awesome. There we go. Yeah. Now, now you've been indoctrinated. That's fine. <laughs> no, listen. You've listened to this show. You, your impressions don't have to be accurate. They just have to be consistent. You have to mm-hmm. do the same Janeway voice next time, and you're fine. What I just us? pretend what I'm doing Matt's Janeway voice. There you go. <laughs> See, and I just pretend I'm doing Mike Nelson's. <laughs> the The only thing I know about doing sort of a Kate Mulgrewy voice is you have to just do your normal voice, but with helium. <laughs> Uh, hey, hey, this balloon is full of some funny air. Hey, Mr. Paris. Like, that's, you know, that's a start. Uh, Yeah, so, wow. Huh. This was an episode. Yeah, it sure was. There, the, the, What bugs me is there's potential in this episode. Like There absolutely was. We were talking that about was... this before the episode, and this is a concept where if I was working on Voyager as a writer, I would pitch this episode. This was actually my good thing mm-hmm. was there there is a lot of like good ideas here and I like following up. These guys actually were from a next gen episode and yep. they didn't beat you over the head with that. If you hadn't seen it, it's no big deal. But if you did, it's like, oh, yeah, those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was but- actually really into the episode up to a certain point mm-hmm. when I when everything started just like going in these weird circles. And up until that point, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm yeah. digging this Ferengi thing. And then I was like, dear God. Well, like the concept almost works until they get until, you know, Voyager beams them up and then the episode should be over. But like there's that weird fucking the Ferengi just bamboozling the captain somehow. That shouldn't happen. Nope. It definitely shouldn't. They should never be able to outwit or outsmart Janeway. That's just a thing that should not happen. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, they should do it doing sort of specifically Ferengi things that maybe she's not great at, like bargaining and and that kind of thing. But what they do, like you said, is point out Prime Directive stuff, which she should be an expert in. Yeah. Not them. Yeah, and she already knows everything that they've said to her. She has a complete and total counter argument that she created like two scenes prior. And does she say it? No, she just stands there quietly with a shit, like, pissed off look on her face and says, get out of here. Like, there's nothing I hate more than having our guys be all like, oh, you got me, even though you're an idiot. Well, the thing about this show that I think they've done well pretty consistently is this Prime Directive stuff, because we are in almost entirely unexplored space. So you run into a lot of situations where the Prime Directive applies. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like, well, we really shouldn't get involved. And here it's like, well... We know this is fucked up and these guys should not be interfering, but they're not part of the Federation and we are. So our hands are kind of tied. And I like that. But then she says, yeah, but you know what? Fuck these guys. We're going to do it anyway. And it's like, all right, well, that's against the rules, but I respect it. Yeah. But then she goes back on it. Well, if only you'd said fuck these guys while they were still on the ship and you could do something about it. No. And now we got to fucking watch Neelix dance around for another 15 minutes. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Just yeah, I don't understand why they let them go back to the surface. That's what makes the whole episode just like lose direction for me. When you have the people you're trying to fix the problem by taking these people out, you already have them on the ship. And just because they made this like totally not really legitimate argument that you have complete like you just have no reason to even take their argument, but you just let them leave. 
and go back to the ship and continue or go back to the planet and continue mm. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, and like if, it, if, if, if it's bugging you or fucking beam them into the woods or something like there's there's so many ways they could have done. It's it's one of those episodes where the plot is pretty much advanced by people being stupid and not doing the obvious thing. Mm hmm. And a lot of times we run into that with, it's certainly not just Voyager, but a lot on Voyager where it's like the only reason things are still happening is because the episode needs to be 42 minutes long. Yeah. Like we have 30 minutes of story here, but we need to pad out 12 minutes. So uh, let's send them back to the planet again, I guess. I don't know. Or even if they stuck with like their plan B of sending Neelix, there's a point at which somebody says, I don't recall, um, they say that we have to out Ferengi a Ferengi. And but they don't even do that. Like, at least it would have been cool and entertaining to watch mm -hmm. them do that if they had sent Neelix down to the planet and he successfully dupes these people. But Ugh, but instead, doesn't. instead, it just turns into a clusterfuck. So it's like it's like clusterfuck after clusterfuck. And that's yeah. why it's annoying, because you're like, wait a second, if this plan's not going to work now, what are you going to do? Like, if you turn this episode into like Neelix, the Ferengi using like prophecy to like like manipulate the people into hating the Ferengi and then the Ferengi are having to like manipulate the people back using the same prophecy. Yeah, and then stuff. you got a, then you got a wacky Ferengi episode happening at least like yeah. not my favorite, but I can respect what they're trying to do. But instead let's just have a stupid, terrible sword fight. Like what? Yeah. No, I, I feel like you, you said this, like they watched some DS nine ep Ferengi episodes and they're like, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that looks well. easy. The thing is, again, they're not my favorite anyway. Yeah. But second, they, no, you can't. Well, I mentioned this DS9, you know, whenever it had a Ferengi episode, the first thing that happened was it has Quark. And yeah. we like Quark. Like, he's one of the best characters on that show. Well, you ground the ridiculous, like, bumbling and the ridiculous slapstick with a character with some dignity mm -hmm. and with some, like, a straight man, basically. And yeah. Quark was... Like, Quark was a Ferengi when you surrounded him with humans, but when you surrounded him by Ferengi, he was the most sensible one. Exactly. And, and like, that, yeah. who's boots on ground in this episode? Well, we've got uh, Paris Chuckles and Neelix. Like, what? <laughs> well, it's it's like Caitlin said in her summary. Like, you know, no big loss if we lost. And really, if they'd burned those three at the stake and then just left, yep. I would like this show 10,000%. <laughs> Those oh. are all my three least favorite characters. Can you imagine if this episode had ended with Neelix burning to death just out of nowhere? It would be amazing. Oh no, my entire body. <laughs> oh no, my unflammable parts. <laughs> Their couch clothing would have just uh, really gone up in flames. Oh God. Their couch clothing that was very like 90s color tones. Mm -hmm. Like I, I respected the colors in this episode because like I matched a lot of these colored shirts to those colored ties. <laughs> in, these, in these years uh, just, uh. but again I do like the idea of following I like taking that premise that we've done before we've done it with Kirk we've done it with Picard I think we did it with Cisco I mean well I guess all of DS9 was really about that with Cisco like yeah. how do you become a god to a, to a people but like uh, taking that premise and saying but what if the Ferengi did it they don't have the prime directive and they would just do their greed thing and like with yeah. these people yeah that, that's true I like that but, yeah, it, you know. it's totally interesting, like the whole uh, like creepy religion that they make out of it of yeah. like perpetuating their Ferengi shit on top of this people's religion. Like, that's kind of cool. That could get interesting. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't. And no, they have to write both the Ferengi as bumbling idiots. Like, it's not even like one of them is smart and one of them is dumb. It's like they're both kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help. 
Well, I even dig the Ferengi. I think they're kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely like the way that they've been portrayed in the past as being like really shifty. And they are kind of like a formidable enemy because they're so shifty and you can't yeah. really trust them. And I like that part of it. But well, when they're handled, not as completely comic relief. But when you have to drill in and talk about how it works, I, I've liked that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Like, but these guys. Sorry, DS9 yeah, did a great job of uh, establishing them, and then, like, you know, they go back to... Yeah, but then they did a lot of those slapsticky episodes well, that I didn't sh- love, and they did Profit and Lace, which was unacceptable. Well, sure, <laughs> but I don't, have to, I don't have to remember those when I'm making an argument. I can just yeah, remember the good things. That's fair. Thanks, Although, selective memory. the problem with a discussion show is that someone else may remind you of it. Shh, 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 okay. Shut up. <laughs> we live in denial here. Yes. That's, that's totally fine. We're still watching Voyager, after all. No, we're not. Well, no, no, I mean, not right now, but we are still in the midst of it. Now we're not watching any Voyager anymore. Oh, all right. Well, you heard it here last. <laughs> um, Caitlin, what was your good thing? Uh, My good thing is the last scene of this show. Um, they're, The scene when they kind of realized that uh, the wormhole is gone. So mm. Janeway kind of turns to, to Harry and she's like, options what are options and he just says uh there are none and he does it so gravely and he just he looks like somebody just sit shit in his cereal (laughs) and he looks so sad he actually does a really good job in that scene to not annoy me and the one one thing about harry we've always said is that he's got this weird mommy thing with janeway and he doesn't want to disappoint mommy and he's got to yep he has to give he definitely sells that yeah I dig it. I like that scene because they all just look so sad. They And like, even though the audience obviously knew that they were not going to go through that wormhole. Yeah. The the bridge crew really makes you believe that they thought they were going to go through that wormhole. Well, and it's no, a great way to end a, like what's, what's supposed to be a wacky episode, too. It's like, oh, these wacky Ferengi and Neelix having wacky adventures on the planet. And oh, by the way, we are never going home. Yeah, yeah, and the Fringy like escape by accident. It's not like they're you know friggin' geniuses or anything. They, they just, are not. the The one thing they try, like let's try a burst of this. That happens to open the wormhole and then close it again. Mm-hmm. And like, th- so they didn't even outsmart them. They just sort of fumbled away. And I, I don't know. Like that makes it sadder for me. Like I actually kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this does tie into my bad thing, which is I'm getting, and this is just a bigger part of Voyager. I'm so tired of plots where I know exactly what's going to happen 30 minutes before it happens. Obviously, they weren't going to stay on the ship, and obviously, Voyager wasn't going to get home. You can't make the state... Like, you can't get me invested in something that I know isn't going to happen. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, you're right, Caitlin. We've seen that situation before, where it's like, well, are we going to get home? No, we're still stuck. And, like, somehow they managed to sell the emotion of that, even though it's happened, like, eight times now. Yeah, that's when you kind of have to give credit to the actors and none to the writers. Yeah. No, I've said this about Kate Mulgrew a bunch of times where they give her some. You had mentioned watching with the uh, subtitles on. You realize just how nonsensy the the technical level is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which makes you really appreciate the actors because you notice it sometimes, but a lot of times you just buy it. Like if Kate Mulgrew's explaining some techno babble crap to you, you're like, yeah, that's probably how the science works. Yeah, totally. The polarities and shit. But yeah. then you read the words and you're like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's really testament to her ability to sell that. And she does a lot of that where she's got something really flimsy or really non-believable that she's got to sell us on. And I believe it because it's coming from her, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I like that about her, but I'm just tired of this uh, over and over again. They're not going to like doing a we're going to get home story. They did way too many of them out of the shoot and they're still doing them. And it's just you need to Please take don't that mention away the shoot. Oh, sorry. Right. Right out of the gate. How about <laughs> that? That just reminds you of Gates McFadden then. Right. But it, it just you, you can't keep doing the Gilligan's Island. Are they going to get home thing? Because we know the answer is no. Yeah, it kind of seems like something you would only want to do, like, maybe on, like, a finale episode or something where, like, you actually might think, like, towards the end of the season, like, maybe there's potential, like, story-wise for this actually to happen. But the plopping it, it right, this is episode seven of, or it was episode five. Of season three, right. Yeah, so you know it's not going to happen. Like, there's no possible way for the audience to buy that story. Right. And you can do one or two along the way of them getting their hopes up and we know it's going to fail, but still watching them get crushed. That's interesting. But they've done that a bunch already. Mm -hmm. It loses its interestingness after you do it a bunch of times. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm tired of that. And again, we knew they weren't going to be carrying the Ferengi home in the brig for the next four seasons. (laughs) Not going to happen. I mean, they could. They carried a fucking serial killer in there for a while. He was in there for half a season, and then he got out, and then he died. So, mm. you know. He was still down there, though. You can't argue that. I guess that's true. Um, Matt, what was your good thing? I love how much... So, the Ferengi guys have a servant called Jafar working for them. and <laughs> I called Jafar? He's called... Yes, he's called Jafar. Okay. And, and I love how much he hates them. Um, he first shows up as just like a background guy, and then when they get beamed up mysteriously, he's just, ah, oh, I'm free. And it keeps evolving. When Neelix shows up as the uh, the fucking Grand Inquisitor or whatever the fuck, uh-huh. um, he ends just like, I am the great, I you work for me. He gets this great look on his face where he's just like, they work for you. Yes, superior God. What can I do for you? Oh, thank God. Somebody else is in charge. Maybe this guy won't be an asshole. He just like as the guy who works for them every day and is just like, I hate these fuckers so much. Yeah. And then we get to the end of the episode and it's like the uh, Neelix is pulling the whole Holy Pilgrim thing. And the guy pipes up with, yes, and they must go home on wings of fire. Set them on fire. <laughs> That's not a metaphor. That's literal fire, guys. And then he ties him up with rope and gets a torch. And Neelix is like, please don't burn me to death. Tie them up back to back because that's the standard. And he's literally like, I'm sorry, but these guys need to die. Yeah. No, that was he he played it well. It's great. Yeah, that was that was pretty funny because and, and, you know, if the overwhelming majority of this planet is going in for these guys, mm-hmm. then he's going to probably do what he needs to do to survive, but he doesn't have to like it. See, I like the idea that, like, we get out of this town that they rule, and it's like no one else on the planet has heard of them. <laughs> they no, basi- see, they've basically taken over a town. That that would be funnier, but they did say this town is doing badly, and the rest of the planet is prospering because they're following the rules of acquisition. But ah, oh, Yeah, they were talking about provinces and... It's Who collects also, from where? It's also possible that that's propaganda. Mm. Hey, guys, get your shit together. The rest of the planet's got their shit together. Well, no, because <laughs> there is that. There is a scene where they talk about it to each other, and they wouldn't oh, propaganda okay. themselves. No, I guess that's true. But Probably. it would be funny for them to just make up that. Mm. Like, th- maybe there is no rest of the planet. <laughs> this is the entire population, these 50 people. Ugh. And Caitlin mentioned that the, the village looked particularly sort of fake and unconvincing as well. Not a great village. 
No. Just, uh, it seemed uh, like there should have been more like shanties and stuff, especially because when they when they first show up on the planet, Paris is like, really, this place is supposed to have a replicator? Doesn't yeah, look like much to me. And I'm like, it well, look, it doesn't look like much to me either because your just, set is shitty. Yeah, yeah, it just looks like every fucking village and market they've ever been to. Yeah, every planet back lot. Yeah, not great. And it doesn't look particularly like um, rural or underdeveloped because all you see is this like concrete temple that's actually looks kind of nice. It's got some like, uh, I don't know, extra decorating looking things on it that look like not rich, but made out of modern material ish well, kind of looking. I think- I think what they were going for is fancy temple, poor village, only they didn't really pull off the second part. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All you what see is just like this weird courtyard thing. Right. But what would have gotten the point across better is if they'd made a really fancy looking temple and then everyone lived in just like holes in the ground or whatever. Yeah. You know? Holes. You, you never yeah. get the idea that they're particular. They don't look poor. They just look like, you know, run of the mill people. Yeah, like you a know, typical alien planet that we try to blend into because, oh, they're exactly human anyway. Yeah, which we've is seen, always a like, thing we've seen these bit. dudes a million times on yep. Voyager alone. Like, yeah, no, this is very much like that planet of the uh, of the mall that they went to in season one, uh, which I think was Scott Zioko's favorite episode. Time and again, <laughs> come to think of it. I believe you're right. But, you know, they were wearing tie dye there, whereas here they were wearing like mid 90s gem tones. But mm-hmm. Basically the same thing. Well, the important thing is that we're keeping the 90s alive. OK, yes. Well, I mean, you do live in Portland, mm-hmm. so that is <laughs> the dream of the '90s is the life <laughs> in Portland. That's what I hear. It's where uh, it's where twenty-year-olds go to reti- retire. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one before. That one's that's also from Portlandia. I don't take ah, credit for that one. Uh, that that's a good joke. Um, my no, I already said my good thing and my bad thing. Uh, Caitlin, what was your bad thing? Um, I'm gonna go generic on this and say the plot. That's fine. Uh-huh. Because it was a, just a nightmare. After the point where the Ferengi are beamed back down to the planet, it is a fucking mess. And I don't care about anything that happens after that point. So up until then, I'm with it. I'm down. Uh, there's definitely potential. And then after that, it's just all over the place. And I was talking about like the plan A, B, and C because it's just like tr- my way of trying to keep track of which part of the episode we're in. Because they try one thing, it doesn't work. They try another thing that doesn't work. And then there's no reasons, really, other than stupidity, why they don't work. Well, it's it's a story structure thing. It's I mean, comedy has rule of threes. Like, when you tell a joke, the structure is typically a guy tries this thing, then a guy tries this thing, then the hilarious thing happens. So it's like, you know, rule of threes. And that's what this was. And I think the bulk of this episode was to put Neelix in Ferengi makeup, which I had a real problem with because the one guy on the ship who's never even heard of a Ferengi before today yeah. <laughs> is the one who's got to go down there and convince them that he's the second most important Ferengi in their entire empire. Yeah, that, really? That bugged me like a lot. Yeah, like I, I could see someone on Voyager, like if they have a culture expert or like, you know, an anthropologist or a, a diplomat or, you know, somebody who studied the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I understand they wanted to give Ethan Phillips something different. And, and in fairness, he's the kind of guy they usually cast as a Ferengi. And he he he's got the voice and he's got the look like he makes a decent Ferengi. Mm-hmm. It's just he the character doesn't know anything about them. And of course, he's not going to blend in because he doesn't know anything. He's never heard of them before. No, I guarantee like. Someone in the writer's room was like, yeah, we'll just put uh, Ethan in some Ferengi makeup. That'll be funny. Because you can hear the voice. Yep. 
like there's a lot about Neelix that's already sort of Ferengi-ish anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Like, if you think about, like, if you're not thinking about it, I should say, then it's the most obvious choice. But if you put even a second of thought into it, it's like, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah, no, he has you, no reason to be there. The character doesn't. The actor yeah. does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. I do like the bluff of the what do they call him? The grand something like the Nagus is like emissary the grand proxy that's it thank you there you go thank you yeah. he's like I like that idea and if that's a thing I don't think we saw it on on DS9 but I buy that that's a real thing well no because anytime he needed to go somewhere he'd just show up there yeah and then he'd bop Quark on the head and uh you know yell some and but he's like he's like Santa Claus you know like he can't be everywhere he's got helpers <laughs> yeah yeah he's a Nagus impersonator at the mall everywhere how hey, how how Quark <laughs> And what would you like, little girl? Well, too bad. I'm taking it all because I'm greedy. <laughs> then he dumps him down that slide like in A Christmas Story. Yeah, exactly. You'll poke <laughs> your eye out. Well, maybe that's <laughs> what happened to that guy in the village. <laughs> you mean that guy from Ghostbusters? Yes. That was a that was a great little uh, surprise for me. I, I'm sure you knew you recognized him. You just didn't oh, know I totally did. I'm like, where do I know that guy from? And uh, I was like, he's the waiter. He's the waiter from uh, Ghostbusters. Of course, he fucking is. What, what was it? A thousand, two thousand dollars? What? I don't remember the amount. But yeah, I won't pay it. I won't pay it. Well, we'll just put this right back, won't we, Doctor Stans? Yes, we will, Doctor Venkman. Yeah, that guy. He, he plays a good snooty, like yep. you know, he. The way they have him here, he looks like a low rent John Cleese. Mm-hmm. He's got like John Cleese the mustache years. Yeah. And like he looks, he's got a, an eye patch, and like so he looks like John Cleese from Yellowbeard, I think. Mm-hmm. So just, but he's not, you know, he's fine, I guess, but he's just uh, very. Broad. He talks too much. Yeah, that's true. Well, there's a lot of talking in this episode. A lot sure of is. talking. I was thinking about this. The be- the best you could do with this episode is after they is just after they beam them back down to the planet. It's just the rest of the episode is them chasing Neelix with swords, probably in a circle. Mm-hmm. Just like just like an old slapstick movie, like a Three Stooges or like something like that, where it's just like through a marketplace. Yeah, no, not even through a marketplace. I'm saying in a circle in the in their vault, just for the next uh, thirty minutes or whatever, while Yakety Sax plays. Ah, yeah, that's fair. Maybe um, cha- maybe they could get chased through doorways or. No, I'm thinking of the same background change, like over and over again, like in a Hanna Barbera cartoon. That'd be fine too. Where you shoot it straight on. They're going in a circle, but to us, it looks like it's a straight line. You ever watch those and think to yourself, boy, it's weird that the Flintstones have 38 lamps. (laughs) (laughs) No, Matt, I've never thought that. Because those lamps, you know, it's a living. (laughs) Those birds need to eat, too. (laughs) Do they eat lamps? Is that what your point is? No, 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 they are lamps. They they are being lamps so that they can earn money to feed to vomit food into their children's mouths to feed their lamp families. Right, the whole family full of lamp birds. Lamp family. <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your bad thing about this episode? Um, so the end of the episode after they get the Ferengi back to the that back to the ship, um, they get escorted to the brig or at locked quarters or something. Uh huh. And then they, <laughs> excuse me, then they escape off camera. And you just hear like, you just hear, you know, we cut back to the bridge and someone goes, Captain, the Ferengi are escaping. Captain, they're making their way to the where we hid their ship. Captain, they're cutting through the door with lasers. Captain, they stole their ship. Captain, yeah. they escaped. It's like, what? What? You've established <laughs> that these two are bumbling idiots this entire episode. I'm going to need to see this happen. These guys are idiots. They haven't done 
anything in seven years except yeah. get like waited on hand and foot. They are under like, you know, there's there's a security guard for, you know, there's one security guard for both for one for Ferengi. Yeah. But like, you know, these guys are trained by Tuvok. You have them escape off camera and just like fly away. And it makes our guys look like idiots. Yeah. No, I hate that. And, and I, I have my problems with Voyager and I have my problems with particular characters on Voyager. But like have, treating the crew like idiots is just like that's don't do that. It's terrible. No, I'm with you. And it's the same problem I had with Rascals, where mm. we were expected to believe, I think it was three Ferengi, took over the entire Enterprise. And no, like, it was two Ferengi and a dog. Right. That's how I always say it. But mm. I think it might have been three Ferengi. I think that one Ferengi was just sort of small and dog-like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, this is the race that I buy of all the Star Trek races, except maybe now the Talaxians, the least, being able to take over a Starfleet ship or yeah. escape a Starfleet ship. And like they, if they're going to do it, we need to at least see what they did. Maybe they did something clever, but we don't even like, like you say, it all happens off camera. So who knows? It's like it, it, they haven't earned the ability to do that without showing us how they did it. It's yes. literally like the guy writing the script was just like, and they escape somehow fix later. Yeah. Well, that's, that's this beat of the story is now they escape. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's like a Doctor Who, like they, they run to this place, then they escape, then they run back to this place, then they escape. And it just having it having it be like that is and then having them escape into the back into the Alpha Quadrant and the wormhole closes, it, it just puts such like it just puts such a stamp on how the, the series works. Yeah. It, it like it completely reset button. Exactly. It's just like, yeah, you, you know that they're not getting home. We know they're not getting home. Everyone knows they're not getting home. So let's just pay this some lip service and get on with our lives. Yeah. No, it wasn't great. It's just. Yeah. I think it's, it's frustrating it's really because. Yeah. Yeah. I like actually like the Ferengi and like they are good at some things. Mm -hmm. But beating up security officers and escaping like. With subterfuge is probably not one of those things. No, I'm just like off the top of my head, and this is brainstorming, and maybe there's, these ideas won't be great, but off the top of my head, these guys lead an entire religion. Maybe they could somehow have convinced their throngs of worshippers to rescue them somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Use that. Like or they have they have resources available that are that that I could believably see them using, but or or something. But we cut to like the two security guards in sick bay, and they're just. They got bonked on the head. Who the fuck trained you guys? A can of beans? Like, I, what? I, wait, is there a can of beans in Starfleet? I mean, <laughs> apparently, apparently training shitty crew members. Wow. See, I at least they weren't in, like, their long underwear and the Ferengi escaping in giant baggy Starfleet uniforms. Fit. <laughs> See, that would be better. That would at least, at least that means something happened. Yeah, that's true. No, nah, it, was, it was not great. And we uh, actually see the two security officers, and they're both, like, a head and a half taller than each Ferengi. They're, yeah. like, big dudes. They're not they're not small guys, and they're, like, dragging the Ferengi away. So it's just kind of funny to turn around immediately, and the next beat is, oh, well, we kicked their asses and escaped. Yep. No, and, and the thing, like, we don't love the Maquis for various reasons, but they are supposed to be tough guys. So I assume some of Tuvok's security force are some pretty hardcore, like, military commando guys. Yeah. Like, in addition to guys who had Starfleet training. Like, either way, his security force should be the one thing. Like, maybe the science department's a little lacking. Maybe engineering's a little lacking because the, the Maquis aren't up to that. But security should be the one thing that they're just outstanding at. Because mm -hmm. they're, they're commandos. They're guys who like to fight. So 
muscle boys. Yeah, they should make good security guys. Lucky commandos. Ridiculous <laughs> breakfast. Anyway, we should probably move on from this one. Any any other thoughts? I don't anywhere? know that that's necessary, Al. We got it. We got to do it, Matt. We're at the halfway point. And we got to talk about the other one. All right. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, you got any any other things you want to say before we push forward? Nope. I'm done and bored. You got a quote for us? Uh, yeah. I am in need of assistance. My sandal shop is failing. I can no longer feed my family. Same old song. My wife and her mother, my five children, the baby. That's seven employees. Eight if you count the infant. How can your shop be failing? That's actually like I like that one. Like I like I like they inserted some new rules of acquisition in there. And some of those were fun. Mm. I just thought it was hilarious the way he uh he's like saying, you know, with the infant. Yeah. Yeah, look, you got you got a bunch of people to work for. You said you got a baby. Hey, that's mm-hmm. a body, right? You could put that to work somehow. I actually one of the things they do really well in the beginning of this episode is like hinting that the Ferengi are there before they actually show up. Yeah, no, you, you mentioned that, that, like, this all looks familiar. I wonder what's going on here. That's how it should have played out. There's, like, there's a part where they get accosted by a uh, street vendor who starts rattling off uh, rule or not rules, but, like, uh, pr- think prophecies from the, the whatever the... Right, which we later find out are rules of acquisition, but we don't know that yet. But they all sound very rule of acquisition-y. Yeah. And then you've got, like, the ears that everyone on the planet has to wear. Right. That look like Ferengi ears if you squint. Or that look like they were picked off of Ferengi action figures that they had lying around. Yeah. They're also carrying little phasers with a frozen beam. Mm-hmm. And laser whips. Yeah. Of course. Laser whips. Ooh. Gotta have the laser whips. But like it's a coiled laser whip, so it doesn't act, you can't actually play with it. Yeah, and it, it doesn't work like a whip. It's just permanently. Yeah. yeah. Like a slinky? Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Laser and slinky. Like, yeah. There were things about those Star Trek toys that were not well designed. They were pretty much everything, yes. Anyway. They all had that bent foot so they couldn't stand. Yep. And they all had those stands that didn't work. Yep. Yeah. They weren't great. No, they weren't. That, that reminds me, I ran into a, uh, I, I, was at the, I was at the drugstore, which <laughs> I, was, I was just, I don't know, like in the I toilet. I don't know what's so funny about that, but you sound so surprised that a drugstore. Well, no, no, when you, when you hear what I saw there, you will also be surprised because I was at the toy aisle of the drugstore. Oh, sure. I know that aisle. Where the saddest toys live. That's why I always look there. Because I back in the day, I used to find, and I'm talking back in the day five years ago, not like when I was sure. a kid. I found knockoff Transformers, like from the same molds from the 80s toys. Oh, sure. Changeo bots. Yeah, but they were the exact, like they were Constructicons from 1985, what? but like just a shitty knockoff of them, but mm-hmm. exactly the same toys. So every now and then I'll look. Like, and they had these uh, matchbox cars, or they might have been Hot Wheels, one of those two, uh, with Star Trek on them. And oh. Uhura has a bitchin' van. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put a picture of that up in our, on our Tumblr, uh, poststomachhorror.tumblr.com, because uh, it was just amazing. And it's got a picture of her talking about there's a there's an emergency in the like some quadrant that doesn't exist like the theta quadrant or something mm-hmm. and it's like there's like 10 things wrong with this picture it was amazing <laughs> so good anyway now we have to go forward to remember remember take it away matt so voyager picks up a race of telepathic aliens with doilies in their hair and gives them a lift home since Janeway knows the rules of the road, ask grass or gas, no one rides for free, everyone gets wicked baked in Funky Neelix's pillow bar. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Annie's having extremely erotic dreams and refuses to stop telling Chuck about them. Now, normally I'm a fan of punishing Chuck for no reason, but I'm also, wa but I'm also watching the episode, so I have to suffer too. Eventually, like all erotic dreams, the hot sex starts getting a bit, uh, getting a bit of a fascist backstory, and the doily-haired aliens start sending their technology-hating inferiors to reservations or something. All this means that Annie is sleeping more and more and missing shifts, and boy, do I not care about dreams! Kate and the crew begin investigating the doily aliens who make up all manner of lies about it. Then one of the doily aliens passes out and tells Annie that she's reading her that she's been reading her memories. Also, she refuses to stop because some 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 the truth. So Annie learns how about how the primitive people were shipped off and then died, but she can't prove it. And also, maybe it didn't happen. Also, the woman Annie thought she was name was Gorilla. The end. I thought you said it was gorillas. No, it's gorillas. Right, with like plural. Yes, gorillas. Right. Okay. Just just to clarify. More than one gorillas. Yeah, I'm going to jump right into my bad thing here. Please I, do. I think this show is starting to break me. Mm. As a joke, my my first note is, well, this technology probably makes bad dreams or something. And then there was stupid dream crap. Yep. Like, I, yeah, I, how we're, did I, I was making a joke that should not be this, the plot. We're, we're literally at the point where we can see this shit coming a mile away. And, oh god i mean you guys will go into more specific things but just broadly speaking i've seen this episode 50 times i didn't care then i don't care now it's written by brandon braga and brandon braga jr aka joe Manoski, and it's aka like, brojo bro brojo <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's the same bullshit magic dream psychic bullshit bullshit that they keep ah, i hate it i this is this is everything I fucking hate about Star Trek. Like the stupid, like needing to talk about like, oh, it's an alien civilization that we don't give a shit about. And like we, we talked about this a bunch during the actual episode. It's like this episode is supposed to be about the Balana, except that she's not like she's basically just playing another character that we don't, you know, that we don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, it's Bellana living out someone else's memories, so she's not acting in character, and it's never anything that happened to her, so none of it affects yeah. her at all. Like, it's not like, um, like, I thought about the inner, I thought about the inner light a lot in this episode. Uh-huh. Because, like, it's basically like that, you know, it's like it, one of our guys living the life of someone else. And, like, that episode works because it's about Picard, you know? This is just Bellana acting as, like, some other character. It doesn't matter. No, and I, I mentioned this, like, early on, she's almost sort of addicted to the sex dreams, and, like, I like the idea that she's sort of lonely and hasn't gotten laid in a while and hasn't, like, had any companionship for a while, and, like, this sort of, like, something's firing off, like, the the uh, the, the sex center of her brain, and she's like, oh, finally, good, yes, mm -hmm. and, and she gets a little addicted to it, and, like, that would have been an interesting angle that focused on Bellana, like, similar to Picard, where he was so... Tr first trying to escape and then accepting his fate and then becoming this guy. Like for her, it could have been about like this whole other weird life is better than the depressing life I have on Voyager where I'm never going to get home and I don't have any friends, but they didn't do that. So yeah. Not no, good. it's just most of this episode is just about these fucking people. I don't give a shit about. Well, that's one of the main, like if I had to come up with like a list of like top five things that I wish Star Trek would stop doing. One of them is, Getting me invested in the politics of a planet we've never heard of before and we'll never hear of again. Yeah. 
That is definitely on my short list of things that they need to quit doing. It's like just fluff, like complete fluff. Yeah. No, no actual things happened in the entire episode. But it's like the fluff that the aliens wear around their heads. <laughs> but the, the <laughs> worst thing is that they think they're doing something important because there's clearly an allegory of the Holocaust here. Mm-hmm. And so they like uh, this is also on my short list of things I wish Star Trek would stop doing is like transparently bad, you know, metaphors for things that happen in real life that you're supposed to care about. And uh, like it is possible to use science fiction to say humanity got up to some really fucked up things in the recent past. Let's never forget that Mm -hmm. the Twilight Zone did some great. Don't forget the Holocaust episodes. Oh, yeah. But Star Trek has not and continues not to as of this episode. It just, like, this is, uh, Caitlin mentioned a bunch, like, I just didn't buy the logical leaps of, like, why is she okay with this and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Like, in real life this happened, but in a show you have to make us understand why it's happening. And they didn't. It's just in one scene she's not with them, and the next scene she is with them. Yeah. Yeah, they really try to, like, make this huge, tell this really kind of big story in like a small amount of time and they do it just like bumbling idiots really. Yep. And, and like, it's a, it's a cool story. It's a story that we've heard a couple times in really epic ways. And it's a story that's like real. So it could have a lot of meaning. It could be so great, but the way that they tell it, it's just like, we don't care. We, all of these characters really have no names. I don't remember anybody's names of the characters. That's how you know that they're completely unimportant. Matt, Matt says one of them's called gorillas. Apparently one of them is called gorillas. Gorillas. Yeah. I mean, it, like I just, there was nothing of substance, nothing to like hang on to, nothing that's like, oh, this is going to change Bolana's character. Or she's really going to be altered by this experience. Nothing even like that. It isn't. No. Again, the reset button. Next week, she's not going to remember any of this. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, ironic given the title is remember. But I certainly won't. Mm, I will because I'll remember it being a bad episode. <laughs> Once this episode is gone, I will never think of it again. Somebody mentioned, uh, hey, this sure feels like a Counselor Troy episode, only not as good. Yeah, we did, actually. We didn't, we didn't like it when they did episodes like this with Troy. But yeah, this is worse because they should know better by now. No, you could easily slot like uh, Troy and the next gen crew into this episode and it would be exactly the same. Yeah, it might have been a recycled script for all we know. Oh, easily. Which also not great. No, at all. Um, my good thing, and I don't remember even what moment it was now, but Janeway and Tuvok had a nice moment. That was, it literally lasts five seconds. <laughs> good for them. I, I try not to fall back on the, the standard. I like it when these characters interact. I also try to go easy on the Doctor and Kess scenes, which I usually like, but that that's it. That's all I had. Yep. That's really all I had. Matt, yours was even less... Uh, it's a very cool-looking tentacle lamp in the mess hall when Neelix goes all enchantment under the sea dance. I would like to buy that lamp. They probably auctioned it off when the show ended, so you missed your chance. Shit. I bet Tidra could make you one. That's true. If there, was a good, if there was a good shot of it, that's the thing. She needs to get a good look at it. That's a pretty good shot of it. It's like right in the background of some scene. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, Tidra, uh, let us know. So the good thing about this episode is that Matt found his future lamp. Right. Yeah. We, it's we, not a we, bad episode after all. We have a lamp match. <laughs> we got something good out of it. Whereas I'm still thinking about Flintstones lamps and trying to turn a bird into one. So. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, you actually found a good thing that was a, something of substance and not just a tiny little background thing. 
Yeah, my good thing is definitely Bolana. I think she's a really good actress, and uh, I really like her monologue at the end, calling out all the douchebaggery. She's really passionate and really believable. And even though, like, inside of the story, like, this means nothing for her character and all of this is just a bunch of bullshit, she is actually, like, playing the part really well. She's uh, doing all this, like, emotional stuff that we don't see Bolana really, like, cry or have all these, like, emotions other than... Blunt's got, got anger. two settings. She's got she's got I'm going to solve this problem or I'm pissed off cuz I can't solve this problem. Exactly. And so seeing her do those other things was actually kind of cool and but at the same time it's not in her character and it's not her. So it's like a good thing to see. It's not a good thing in the episode though. Yeah. yeah I I get you like a lot of times when they give these actors room to stretch it's it's a contrived thing but it, mm-hmm. it does show you that the actors are capable of it mm-hmm. and i good. like uh seeing her a little romantic whatchamahoosits with her little boy with the doily well we've just we've seen her like her boily her boily oh, god <laughs> we've seen we've seen her kind of like and she's kind of openly said i'm kind of lonely out here like i don't really have anybody so it is nice just on a on that level to see oh look it's Bolana, except then you remember, no, it's not Bolana. Right. Never mind. But it makes but, sense why she likes her sex dreams so much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the 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 brief time where they flirt with her being addicted to it, I kind of liked because that affects her, the character that we're invested in, who will be the same person next week. And I'm interested in that. Just like the scene you're talking about where she goes nuts and, and yells at everybody. Like, that's her as well. Like anytime we get actual Bolana, it's interesting. It's when she's this other chick, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's the difference to me. But you're right; she does pull off even the scenes where she's not herself. So. Yeah, she's pretty. She's definitely come a long way from season one. They did the episode where she was split into her Klingon half, and she even said, "I was not up to this yet. Yeah, like, I'm still relatively new at this, and I don't know this character yet, and I don't feel like I did a great job." And she's definitely grown since then. Oh yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. What was your what else? Thing, Caitlin? Well, now we've done all the good things, and I think those are all the good things. Yep. Uh, Everyone. What was your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing is the entire fact that Bolana tells all of her sex dreams to her boss. Yeah, that's super fucking gross. Isn't her it? boss, who we've established, she's had secret sex dreams about that she's ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every scene of her talking to Chuck about her sex dreams is extremely awkward. And we were discussing this, too, that they uh, they just like they do all this close talking like their faces are really close together. Chuck looks all interested and excited more about my the the sex I had in my dream. Well, I had the sound off on, on the second viewing. And for some reason, I couldn't stand to listen to the dialogue. I don't know why that is. And that. Uh, just a lot of the faces she's making, just like, like I expect some old lady in the background to say, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> yeah. There is no reason why she should be telling this information to her male boss. She should be talking to Kate, who is her buddy. Yeah, they've they've long been building that relationship to the point where it would be something new, but it would be like the next level of their friendship that she would mm. confide in her in this. I yeah. Think. Yeah, and yet she repeatedly is telling Chuck, and she's really fucking excited to tell him, too. Like, first thing, they see each other in engineering, like, OMG, gotta tell you about my wet dream I had last night. Yeah. And Not something that is okay. And he's into it, too. 
There's another way to write that, which is she's a little overexcited, maybe because she's lonely and wants to talk to anybody about it. But then if he's a little uncomfortable, that could be funny. But yeah, yeah. he's kind of into it, too. So that that makes it even grosser. There's nothing going on in this scene that I want to be a part of. I I figure my my guess from the writing standpoint is the writers were thinking, okay, she's got to tell somebody who's she going to tell who's she friends with Uh, Chakotay. Pull out the Voyager crew dartboard. Yeah. No, no, no. They probably Chuck thought it about is. it. But they probably thought the only real pre-established relationship we have here is with Chakotay. But they, they've been building one with Janeway since day one. And it's yeah. pretty strong there. Mm-hmm. It's not something like we've could, imagined. It's definitely there. I could easily see them just getting together at like uh, in the mess hall and... No, no, no. You don't want to talk about your sex stuff when other people can hear it. That's like, you know, off she, at like the side table or something. No, nah, she comes to her quarters like and has some tea and has a has a like one on one chat with her, I would I would think. Like you yeah. don't you don't talk about that in the mess hall where Neelix can hear it. You guys talking about sex? Hey, I love sex, right, Cass? Uh, uh, you want to talk about the uh the orgy? <laughs> well, Caitlin and I were talking, and then Matt joined in. About the idea about how everyone on the ship must be super horny. Just mm-hmm. like 90% of them definitely weren't dating each other. Probably 98%. Of, like two or three of them were probably dating, but mm-hmm. most of them were not. So they've either, they're either single or not dating anyone when they got stranded on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah. And they've been in this situation for two or three years. And there is definitely a sort of frowned upon by the senior officers. Like don't, don't date your superiors. Fraternizing. Yeah. So it's like, what, what do we do? We we're we're constantly moving toward the, toward the alpha quadrant. So we can't really stop and form any relationships. So what other option is there? Well, there's the Saturday night sex club. Oh no, no. I, I feel like it's an ongoing orgy that people just tag in and out of. <laughs> It's they all been, bring their sonic shower heads. Yeah. It's just been going since mid-season two, and yep. it's been nonstop ever since. Yep. Don't don't go in that room. Oh, God, no. They call it Deck Zero. <laughs> it's the hottest club on Voyager. Yep. Tom Paris does not know about Deck Zero. <laughs> nobody. They have an understanding where nobody tells Tom Paris about yeah, Deck Zero. They signed a pack. <laughs> and actually, a few of the a few of the uh, the, the chicks want to invite Harry because they think he's cute. But no, because he'll tell Tom. Yep, he can't have to do without Kim because Tom will come right behind, and we don't want that. Yep, they're a pair. They only come together. Yeah, or they're not really? at all. Yeah, come together or not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, there there is this like not quite an orgy vibe, but definitely sort of a casual everybody like in their civilian clothes, touching each other kind of thing going on with, as Matt says, Neelix's enchantment under the sea dance. Uh, that's funky Neelix's enchantment under the sea oh, dance. Oh, pardon the hell out of me. Uh-huh. And where Kate's wearing her creamy white bang outfit. <laughs> Just this, this off-white pantsuit, this cream-colored pantsuit. And then this dude's teaching her how to play the bowl. The, col- the colander. <laughs> I think it's like a cereal bowl. Tune up my colander. Yeah. It looked like a bop it. Oh, it did look like a bop it, actually. Yeah. And then um, and then she gets this weird O face because mm-hmm. he's like invaded her mind while he's playing this instrument. And she's like, oh, I like that. And like, oh. Yeah. She's inserted or he inserted the ability to play the colander into her brain. Yeah. 
<laughs> he penetrated her brain with the ability to play that instrument. Yes. That's that's normal, right? <laughs> totally normal. Yep. Oh, well, we got like the we got all of the 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 aliens hanging around in their doilies and their fucking candy-colored pantsuits. <laughs> and then they have this discussion about, "Oh, well, since we're not psychokinetic or whatever, like it's rude to enter our minds." And they're like, like "What?" And- yeah, they're like taken aback, like, oh, we've never heard that before. Like, have you never met aliens before? Is this the first time they've met aliens? There's yeah, like no I mean, explanation of that, but they think it's totally weird not to like insert themselves into your mind. Their their language has no word for consent, apparently. No, no doesn't. Not, not great. Not not so much, no. No? No. Which is kind of contrary to the scene at the very end of the show when uh, the cardboard blonde chick who really likes Harry mm-hmm. is like uh, talking to Bolana, and Bolana's like, "I wish I could share my experiences with you." And mm-hmm. the chick tells her that she can, and she's like, "You would share yourself openly with me?" And she acts like it's a big deal for them to make that exchange. You know, so I don't know why it's a big deal at the end, and it's not a big deal about the music thing. Like, like what the hell? Do they just is the only way to share stuff like to like just do do it without Mind the other melt. person knowing? Yeah, apparently. Come on, it's Braga. He hasn't thought it that far out. Ugh. I hate that guy so much. I don't know. We could use some more explaining. Oh, God. Well, that's... that's uh, uh, Yeah. Not great. The sounds of a beaten man. <laughs> I, like I said, the show is really starting to break me. Like, I I don't want to... I We tried so hard. I made a song and everything. Mm-hmm. I just... I don't want to hate the show. I don't want this to be a chore. But we've had, like, six episodes in a row now that have just... Some of them have had okay premises, but most of them have just been tedium and and the same crap again and again, or people acting wildly out of character. Just ah, stop it. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that bad. It's just that boring. Yeah. It's... We've seen this episode before. Yeah. There's nothing new in this at all. There's I mean, that's no... my bad thing. Like, we've seen this. Uh, Star Trek... We've seen this episode. You made this episode. You made this episode one of the most beautiful, poignant, wondrous episodes that brought my co-host to tears. Oh, yeah. That means you can stop now. Here's the thing. (laughs) I never even drew the comparison between this and The Inner Light because they are so tonally different. Well, that's the thing. This is The Inner Light with racism. Yeah. I, like, they're just, they're nothing alike to me. It's like, I I see it now. I get what you're you're saying. But, uh, no. There's no flute solo in here, thank you. No, there's just a colander solo. Yeah. Which they basically are playing the uh, the score from TNG Season 1. Uh-huh. It's like really shitty keyboard music. Hope you like yeah. synth. Yep. Uh, what else? I like the uh, I like the uniforms. There's, oh, there's yeah. another good thing, actually. The... Um, it has it vaguely looks like sort of a modern navy flight suit, but it's also made of like latex. Yeah, no, uh, Belle rocks that thing. She looks yeah. adorable. But it's it's also it also looks professional. Like it's adorable, mm. but it's also it, she looks like it looks sort of like military or whatever. Like whatever um, it's supposed to be. Except for one thing. Yeah. Which is the badge, which looks like a pair of testicles. <laughs> well, those are stress balls. <laughs> oh yeah, you rub them and then you feel better. Yeah. I'm doing that right now. Mm-hmm. Ah, Me much too. better. Yeah. Ah. Um. What else? 
Uh, um, my notes are like, how are there still 18 minutes left? Let's see how many times I used caps. Let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, six, that's seven, a lot. That's that's the that's the new standard now. How many times do we yell? Mm-hmm. I was. As I was watching this one, I decided to do the uh, this week on Star Trek Voyager. This week on Star Trek Voyager, Taurus's erotic dreams gives the crew difficulties. <laughs> oh, actually, Matt, this is one of those weeks where we checked the clock at the same time. We did. I said, how are there still 18 minutes left? And you said, there's still 18 minutes of this left. <laughs> so I think we get some kind of prize for that. We should. I don't know what that is, but... Uh... Also, have one that says "not radio septics." <laughs> uh, I think I'm about done talking about this. How about you guys? I think I think we can go now. You have you have anything else, Caitlin? I don't want to. If you have any any pressing points, I don't want to cut you short. I don't think there's anything pressing about this episode. <laughs> you might have some jokes, you know. Uh, nope, nope. Okay, I'll ask me if I have a quote. Uh, Matt, do you have a quote? I sure fucking don't. <laughs> Nothing quotable. Nope. Also, I almost called you Al. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I, I, I heard you were growing a beard, so, you know, I got a yeah, little that, confused. That, that was an experiment that ended a in a boarded experiment. Yeah. Well, you grew you tried to grow a beard when you were when you were very fevery, which is not the best time to yeah, have no. new warming force on your face. Yeah, no, that experiment brundle flied all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's what they say at deck zero all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brundle fly on my face. Oh my god, I have so many imagination games going on right now with Deck Zero. We we oh, could man. create a whole like like universe of fanfic with this if I had the time to write it. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, you get on that. Okay, I'm on it. Deck Zero. Here we go. Have something have something for your next appearance. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a lot, but little little something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's all for this week. Next week, more of the same. Hooray. Uh-huh. Maybe it'll get better. Uh, we we are, next week, I'm looking, we are splitting up a two-parter, so there'll be some tension as far as, like, we're only doing part one of a two-part thing, so that's something. I don't yes. know. Maybe you'll be on the edge of your seat. Flonk will be with us, so. Uh, well, like, that's something. I like that. that he's, he's on the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas you are the Voyager likingest person we know. He is the Voyager hatingest person we know. <laughs> So that'll be a study in contrast. A taste of each side of it. Yes. Why is he Um, watching Voyager? (laughs) Again. (laughs) Uh, We are still doing the fundraiser thing. Uh, Links are on postatomichorror.com, algar.com, our Facebook page, our Tumblr. They're all over the place. Please contribute some money. The Emerald City Comic Con's coming up, and we are trying our best to promote ourselves to a large captive audience of potential Mm. listeners, and that costs money. Yeah. So. That is that is one of the things we need to do. So please, if you could throw in a couple of bucks, we would greatly appreciate that. Mm. Uh, and with that, we are going to stop talking now. See ya, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2016. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this. <laughs>